Hey there, Sean. Hey, Pierce. How's it going? It's pretty okay. All right. That means it's time for another episode of the It's Pretty Okay podcast. Let's do it. Let's start the show. Stay super late tonight. Picking apples, making pies. Put a little something in our lemonade. And take it with us. We're half awake in a face. So, we're recording and uh, summer has just officially started. Um, We are already seeing our days dwindle and and grow darker as we speak, which they will go ahead and do for the, the, the next six months. So... In that way, it's 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 very weird the the start of, of of summer because the start is also kind of the end built Man, in. That's dark. You're really killing my vibe here. I you yeah. know a few weeks ago, uh, or maybe actually, God, it's been a couple months now. Um, we we recorded <laughs> a podcast episode in which I was uh, despondent over uh, Anthony Davis's request for a trade from the Pelicans. Yes. Um, now we're three days after the draft, and I am ecstatic because uh, the the Pelicans won the lottery and drafted Zion Williamson, who I'm getting over my hatred of Duke to be incredibly excited about, and because David Griffin is probably the best general manager in the NBA now that he's back in the NBA and mm-hmm. uh, turned. Anthony Davis into three young players on cost-controlled contracts because they were recent draft picks and several more draft picks, some of which he then turned into better draft picks uh, or, or at least more draft picks and the removal of a particularly onerous contract signed by his incompetent predecessor, Del Demps. Del Demps. And yet I'm also slightly conflicted because even though uh, I'm in this rare position that I hope you as a begrudging Wizards and Nationals fan one day find yourself in, which is a position of hope and optimism. Um, I, I know you won't ever find yourself there, by the way. Uh, no. But just that that is my hope for you anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even though the draft and and the the movement that surrounds the draft has brought me all of these joys. Um, I still kind of feel like that's maybe not a good thing. Like I'm not supposed to have those. Yeah. I I mean, just to, just to kind of balance this out with what we're going to get into. It is, it is June. Um, you know, some number of years ago, uh, I was leaving school at this time and I was looking forward to a job. And I remember doing all these interviews and everything else and getting a job. And I have gotten subsequent jobs uh, and I've gotten better jobs. But there was this this fever pitch of people going around and, and trying to get the best job possible. It was the whole reason you didn't putz around at school and why some people did certain majors that that I decided not to do. And so right now in my office, we've got a bunch of summer scholars. Some people will call them interns, but they're called scholars. And and they're people who are 
they're going to have their time here this summer and, and be feted and enjoy things and then hopefully mm-hmm. get an offer. And part of the reason they're going to get offers is because they're the best of the best. And, you know, this is, this is uh, you know, I work somewhere where, where they definitely like to think that, that they're the best, so they want the best talent. Mm-hmm. But what you're talking about here is there's a draft and based on there's an inverse you have a better chance of the worse you are in the season before with some controls the better chance you are of getting the best talent as as kind of graded out by everybody it it, it's wild so so before we started uh, every every year a few times a year around the times of the drafts of the major American sporting leagues. It's a little more with the NBA, um, I, I think, uh, in part because there are the least players drafted, mm-hmm. and also because of something I think we've talked about before. Like, you know, an individual player is probably more visible in basketball than any other sport because there are less players on the court at the time to- at any given time, and also because you can see their faces. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But. This year was no different, and there was a little cottage economy of think pieces about why the draft is bad. And and one of the ones that I was looking through again today uh, was written by Will Leach, the, I believe, founder of Deadspin. And yes. uh, let, let's, let's run through this uh, hypothetical scenario, uh, f- you know, for you looking for work. Let's say there are only 30 possible employers in your chosen field. The quality mm-hmm. of their product or the stability of their business varies dramatically. This will make no difference to you because you do not get to choose which of them you work for. In fact, the worst they are in the worse they are in their chosen field, the more opportunity they have to select the most talented employees. These companies are spread throughout North America, and if they select you, you must move to whichever city their business is based in, regardless of where you currently live, where your extended family lives, or where you would personally like to live. No matter how skilled you may be, no matter how much money you might bring into the company, there's a set salary structure that determines how much you can be paid. It's on a sliding scale as the draft progresses, which means the higher the quality of the business that selects you, the less money you will be paid. This company, by virtue of the draft, owns the rights to the entirety of your employment for the next six years. If you're unhappy with that company and wish to work for someone else, You'll only be allowed to do so if your company decides to move you to another company on their own terms, and you won't get to choose what that company is either. If you don't like the company that chooses you, the only alternative to working for them is leaving the industry altogether. Oh, and there are only 15 to 50 jobs at each company, and it's overwhelmingly likely that you'll be aged out of the industry within 10 years and will have to find a new line of work altogether. That's not a hypothetical scenario. That's being a professional athlete in the United States of America. And I would add at the very tail end there, um, and when that 10 years is is up, part of the reason why it be 10 years or even less is in the course of your work, your body will go to crap. <laughs> I mean, sure. That, that, but, the, uh, that one I think is less of the point here because, yeah. uh, you know, for a variety of reasons, not least of which is, you know, the risks you are taking on as a professional athlete and you mm-hmm. are trading those risks off for things like fantastic wealth. And also there are other lines of work in which you put your body in danger on a daily basis Yeah, uh, <laughs> that you, that you choose to do. But like when you put all of those things together, it is pretty insane on its face. And 
you know, I think, I think maybe the draft is really terrible. Um, yeah. And, you know, we, we live in a time where lots of, you know, lots of ideas are decried as socialism because they, they dare to consider what's good for, um, you know, workers instead of their, uh, their owners in, in the form of management, uh, or just because they, they happen to be a little different from the way we've been doing things for a long time. But funnily enough, professional sports drafts are the most, like the most socialist welfare statey thing you could possibly imagine. The worst team is given the right to the best incoming player for the mm-hmm. purpose of instilling a, a concept that you were talking about when we were prepping for this parody. Yes. And it's in the parody. And this is the wild part um, is that it is parody of performance of the work. So uh, there is a champion crown every year. Also known as competition. Can, yeah. Uh, and competition yeah competition and there's a champion at the end of every season and there are people who make the playoffs and don't and there are people who are eligible for lottery picks and so there's this attempt and it's kind of you know a lot of times it's ill-fated in basketball you do have quicker turnarounds than maybe other sports but you are through this draft you try to even things out which yes is 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 totally that's the the kind of seeking some equality there but it really is at the it's to the detriment of these players because uh they're on these contracts that are are they get there are certain monetary slots that they get and so then basically just what you get is you get really cheap labor for a number of years while the if you draft the player if you draft zion williamson or i guess rj baird or these really spectacular people their contract is controlled for all these years Mm -hmm. and you as the owner who yeah i guess you care about competition but ultimately you want a, a really attractive product you are still selling a product you're not you're not selling the competition as much and you're making i mean you are but you're making money off of that product and if you draft one of these players, these high-value players, people are going to be attracted to to your product. So you gain exponentially, and they gain at a, a measured pace. Right. And so that creates this perverse incentive that leads to the scourge known as tanking, where teams are purposefully bad in a way that often upsets, offends, insults, and alienates fans so that they can get a Zion Williamson or a Kyler Murray as a peace offering, basically. Um, but I, I'm glad you said, like, the the goal of the draft is this idea of putting out a competitive product where there is parity. And, like, you know, the, the idea that they talk about in terms of parity is that any team could win a championship. Um, to that, I say, horse hockey, absolutely not. Yeah, we could uh, all also get struck by lightning, but it doesn't happen very often. So, uh, there were, since the uh, the Stone Ages of when uh, Tom, Thomas Thomas Brady Brady, um, uh, I don't I don't I don't <laughs> speak that language that dialect. Uh, 
Tom Brady and the New England Patriots won their first Super Bowl, which I believe was in 2002, there have been, uh, or maybe it was the 2001 season. So there have been 19 first overall picks in the NFL draft since that time. Mm-hmm. How many of the teams that have made those number one overall picks have gone on to win a Super Bowl? in any range of time since making the first pick. Uh, oh, how many total teams? It's less than, it's fewer than five. The number of teams in that have made the number one overall pick in the NFL draft oh, uh, oh, in see. the 2000s and then gone on to win a Super Bowl, regardless of whether it was one or 15 years after making the first pick, is zero. Oh. Literally not a single one. So, hmm. the idea that this draft system is well organized to provide bad teams fixes uh, is false. The- you could make a theoretical argument that... Uh, that it's possible that that what you're doing is you're giving them the best opportunity to draft the best players who will then make their team better. But the problem with that is that bad teams are often bad teams because they are poorly run. Yes. And it's this whole cascading cycle where poorly run organizations have poor coaching staffs and then poor coaching staffs do a poor job. Well, Poor, poorly run organizations have poorly run scouting departments, and so poorly run scouting departments don't do a good job of identifying who the players with the most potential are. And then the bad coaching staffs that they have do a poor job of maximizing the potential of the players that they do draft. And so this just... I mean, there's a reason having high draft picks is not a recipe for success. And there, there's a reason why in the NFL, you know, it, it's almost like it's seen as a death and taxes level truism that the Patriots are going to trade down because they've identified that having the highest pick is not the smart way to do it. It's actually accumulating. It, it's, it's accumulating more bites of the apple by having more draft picks, but it's also having you know having a really trusted personnel department that has a track record of doing a great job of identifying players that are undervalued by frankly bad personnel departments and then having an incredible coaching staff it's like what you just it rewards good organizations reward themselves by being good organizations and so Mm -hmm. The use of uh, the usefulness of a draft is kind of obviated by that. Now, yeah, I, yeah. the the Pelicans in the NBA, the NBA this year, are kind of an interesting case because, to a certain extent, if I can if I can make an argument that is as close to not being a Homer-ass thing to say as possible. I think you could also make an argument that 
their sort of fortunes um, are are perhaps slightly more deserved or at least cosmically justifiable because they've been i mean frankly they've been a bad organization for a while and they made a a playoff appearance not this past season but the one before and and won a series and that kind of disguised some things but by and large like it's been a badly run organization in part because it was more or less the neglected sibling of the saints yeah but they made big bold active steps in the aftermath of anthony davis requesting a trade and they said oh wow we've kind of been going about this wrong and so they took bold action to reverse course and to try to become a a good organization and so if if there is a particular flavor of bad team who maybe you could say sort of deserves a prize like high draft picks you know maybe it's a team like that that says yes we were bad but our answer to that is not just we're going to get the first pick and hope for the best it's we're going to clean house and we're going to bring in a respected executive to run our our you know our operations department we're going to find you know a promising young gm who we think is ready to step in and take over the day-to-day personnel movement and stuff like i think that there's i think there's something to be said for that it doesn't like that doesn't uh that doesn't offset all of the bad things about the draft because yeah you know more often than not the bad teams stay the bad teams yeah and I think I think again, the the NBA and you mentioned it and you're 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 laying it out. Um, the NBA is unique in that it is a roster of, of 15 people yeah. and there are only five people on each team on the floor at a time. So you can get a a a new member of your organization. You can have a new employee who can really change everything. That can quickly be the face of that group. Um, it's not like the NFL where where they you know, might take some time. You draft a quarterback and he sits behind a veteran for a year or, or whatever. Uh, it is a, I think the NBA is, is unique in that way. But, and then also for me, the NBA is particularly troubling, I think, because, uh, you know, the, the values of these teams have gone up so exponentially in the last, you know, 10 or so years. I mean, Steve Ballmer um, buying the Clippers, the, the woeful Clippers, um, for however many billions of dollars he bought them for, too. Yeah. Um, and the Rockets were just purchased recently, and I know that that was a pretty penny. Uh, yeah. You know, even a team like the Bucks was was purchased a couple of years ago, and and I think now it looks like for a pittance, but I think it was a tremendous. It amount was like five hundred million for the Bucks. Yeah, for the Bucks who were who were especially woeful. Um, and and so, uh, you know, I, I think that there's something to be said. The NBA is kind of the best petri dish for the ridiculousness of the draft because you can't have a player who can make such a difference in a year or two years. Um, 
but also they are creating such because of that exponential change that can happen to your product on the court um, the values of these franchises go up really quickly so when you are stuck into a a uh, salary controlled four-year contract as this player who's creating such value that's a problem yeah and, and you know, baseball, you get in this too because they have a terrible system that I, we can't even get into here because your brain <laughs> explodes. But basketball is one that it's it's very evident that they create such tremendous value and your contracts, these contracts, because they are over a course of time, um, they have to be forward-looking. So sometimes you get paid for pr- past performance, but – you know, when you're 29 years old and you're trying to get that one more big contract, people are hesitant to be like, I don't want to pay you until you're 34 years old. I don't know what your body's going to be like. Yeah. So I'm I'm glad you mentioned the salary cap and, and baseball. So baseball is its own weird bucket of syrup because it doesn't actually have a formal official salary cap, but their, their CBA is so bizarre in how like in the way that it grants teams control and what the salary structure is for, you know, for rookie contracts for players that were drafted. Like we just saw a high school pitcher uh, take a a contract from a team in Japan rather than enter the MLB draft because not only will that allow him to circumvent the terrible, you know, uh, service time stuff and, and all of the things that go into being a 21 year old, you know, MLB draftee, but also he's going to make a shitload more money playing in Japan than he would, you know, playing, you know, riding the bus to minor league games. But, yeah. but the N- the NFL and the NBA both have two things that have been instituted over time that require, essentially that skyrocketed the value of draft like rookie contracts so um both obviously both sports have salary caps uh so being able to obtain players cheaply you know below market value is basically the biggest market inefficiency in those two sports and in both sports, uh, the NBA in 1994 and the NFL sometime in the late 2000s, I want to say, instituted rookie wage scales. So not only do you have a system where there is a set amount of money that you can spend to put your team together which inflates the value of having any one player play for less money than they're worth. But the existence of a system that really was meant to protect veterans. And so, you know, part of the issue with that is that the collective bargaining agreement is made between current players and, and ownership in the league. And so their incentive structure is not designed to do things that will benefit new players coming into the league. It's to protect our money. And so by doing that, Paul, who is the president of the group and is now in (sighs) an albatross of a contract. um, Yep. That's 
basically, if you, I mean, look, he he got his money, and that's a it's a good thing. Players should get their money, but uh, you know, if you were if you were to take if you were to consult for management in that regard, um, I think I think you would have a pretty solid argument to say anytime a player is coming trying to get a new type of contract made so he can get that contract it's probably a bad contract for you at this at the same time if you're an owner and you can you all 30 of you can figure out a way to say uh yeah you know we'll let you get those big contracts but we'll keep the split at 50 50 sure the 30 of us and the 450 plus of you because i don't know if the the 50 on the player side includes the the coaches and the management i've never been sure about that but point being is there are way more players than there are um uh you know the the other side of that 50 50 split right. but so anyway so salary cap plus rookie wage scale equals incredible value to teams incredible potential surplus value to teams of being able to draft potential stars and pay them significantly below market value for four years. And, and so like it's, it's a problem. And I I don't know that I know how to solve it. I imagine you probably don't either, but people who spend more of their day thinking about basketball than either of us, you know, seem to have come up with proposals that all resemble something that are all meant to kind of resemble what the draft does now where there is some suspense around who's going where because the the worry and I think it's a bullshit worry but the worry is that the the big market teams are going to have all of the draw and they're going to you know want or they're going to have a, an advantage and a, a greater ability to bring in these promising young players. Um, mm-hmm. To that I say, have you seen how the New York Knicks and Los Angeles Lakers operate over the last, like basically over our, well, the Lakers were really good in the 2000s, over the last 10 years. Um, it's not, it's not a given that every promising rookie is going to want to go play for the fucking Knicks. Um, so, the proposals tend to look something like, you know, what if each team is given an allotment of kind of two two versions of a rookie contract uh, that you could use to sign rookie free agents who will be free agents and could go where they want to go. And so that give that's still it doesn't fix the problem of rookie cost control which is not great but you know we probably we probably don't get to have it our way and you know uh, you know knock down the whole house tomorrow yeah. and build a new house we might have to fix the kitchen up first uh, but you could even you know you could still you could still sort of weight the distribution of like how much money you could weight the allocation differently. You know, if what you want is to give 
bad organizations some sort of chip so that they might have a better chance. You could still give them more money. So now, so like now in this case, like in the draft, the Pelicans had the first pick. Or, or let's say the Sun, what, the Suns had the worst record? I believe they did. And then the Raptors won the championship. So let's say the Suns get the most. There's no So there's no need for a lottery at that point. So the Suns mm-hmm. had the worst record. So the Suns are allocated the most rookie money. The Raptors are allocated the least rookie money. They're still on equal terms. Like they all have the ability to go talk to every rookie free agent. Now maybe yeah. R.J. Barrett doesn't want to play for the Raptors because it's too little money or maybe he wants to play for the Raptors because he's essentially from Toronto Uh, or maybe Zion Williamson says I know I could go play you know I know I could join the Warriors and we would probably wreck the entire NBA I'm also assuming Durant and Clay Thompson's health sorry Clay um but maybe playing for a team like the Pelicans or the Grizzlies or the Hornets is going to give him more opportunities for playing time and touches yeah. and to make himself a star in that way. So basically, you shift the power from the teams to the players to choose where they want to go, just like we do with free agents now. Yeah, Everything is still limited by the salary cap, which whatever, we can deal with that another time. Everything is still on a rookie scale in that you're allocated a certain pool of money to dish out to rookie players, which is the same. It's I mean, it's what baseball does with their with the slot bonuses um, because they kind of have a defined contract structure for basically everyone. Uh, but mm-hmm. you could, you know, you get to give out. A signing bonus and so some guys fall in the draft because it's known that they're going to need a, a big bonus like talented high school players are going to need a big bonus to convince them to not go to college yeah. um, so like something like that would probably it would, it would still be exciting you know one of yeah. the big problems and one of the reasons that this shit is never going to happen is that the NBA draft I mean I watched TV for four and a half hours last Thursday uh, yeah. Which was insane. I still I made it maybe to pick fifty, yeah, uh, with four and a half hours of investment. Um, yeah. It just like it it gets ratings and it's exciting, but having I, I the power that... be with so having the power be with the teams is not the only way for this to be exciting. Mm-hmm. And and I would say just one other thing that it occurs to me is if you really do want the best competition and you really do want to to drive to to something where these teams that are struggling get better um you know with the like maybe a little bit more money here or there uh, that going on i think that you know you're not going to go to a vegetarian restaurant uh, or a vegan restaurant or whatever and ask them to to make you a steak that's not what they're that's not what they're good at yeah but but like maybe they're, you know, if you've got some ramps, uh, you know, it's early spring, you've got some ramps, um, you know, they, they specialize in that. Their management can do that really well. And I think one thing that this would allow is kind of having this free agency thing is not 
listen, Zion Williamson is, you know, to all eyes, apparently the, the best, the best player in this draft. But, you know, if, if the Pelicans really had a player that, that already that kind of fit that mold and they needed someone different, um, you know, with this free agency thing, you're not forced, you can get the like best fit for you as opposed to being like, well, I have to take the best available, which is a separate thing. But I think it just opens that up more. And there's not the same kind of pressure of like, well, you're the number one pick, you have to pick, uh, you know, you have to pick Greg Oden, you have to pick Kevin Durant or, or whatever it is. So I think it's, it kind of, if you want to give these teams a chance and you want these management styles and the coaching staffs to to maybe do a little bit better, you know, put the best team together for you, whereas the draft kind of, I think, forces your hand in some ways. Yep, totally agree. I, I think I, I think there is potential benefit all around, and teams, you know, there, there's probably a way to work it so that, you know, let's, let's say there's a team who is on a real win-now timeline, and so rookie players are not uh, particularly valuable to them at this moment. Like, maybe you make, you know... Maybe you make rookie allocation money tradable so that, you know, if there's a team that says we don't think we're poised to contend in the next two to three years, maybe we can focus more on bringing in a young core that we can develop together. And so we want to trade an established player to this team that's looking to win now and we can open up more space to bring in more young players like I think they're. I think there really are there really are potential benefits you know but none of this shit will ever happen because NBA owners no. are not benefit seeking so much as they are risk averse and so the the potential risk of not having this guaranteed lifeline of you know a, a number 1 pick even though only one team can ever get the top pick in a given year, you know, it, it will paralyze every every owner from yeah. from seeking out an alternative. Because right now they have a system that benefits them and to a certain extent only them. So they've decided that it's not in their interest to foster a system that might happen to benefit someone else at the expense of not benefiting them quite as much. Classic. So the more, yeah. Classic, classic. Uh, what is that? Is that narcissism? Is that just? That's uh, just selfishness. It's just being a dick. It's being. Well, it's I'd being s- that guy. Uh, I'd say the moral of the story is income is nice, but when but when profit is better, I would say. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's that's all I got. That's that's what that's what this is. You want to be capital? Chew not that labor. one up. Put that one in your muse cages. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, now that we have finished rambling about why drafts are bad, uh, do you have something to apologize for this week? I assume because it's a week. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, you know, while I'm I'm ramping up here, uh, I saw the the national and Cartney Barnett this week at, at the anthem in DC. And Sean, you can you can look up or have the intern look up since it is the summertime. Uh, the set list from the anthem this week. Okay, um, the national so set list or Courtney Barnett's? The nationals, because Courtney Barnett was the opener. 
which which was an interesting thing in and of itself because she's a tremendous like big i think big time artist and you know the place just wasn't ready for her sure um so i i am not like the world's biggest national fan i don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of all their their back catalog uh-huh. but you know i i know enough to go and listen and their new album is good and me along with everybody else really likes listening to boxer every now and again or a lot i do um so I went, and part of the reason I went is because I knew that that they put on some really great shows. Sure. And, uh, of course, everyone else knew that, so the show was sold out. And so I went, and uh, th- this was the first show where I took uh, the earplugs, by the way. Hey. I, didn't, I, I, I was far enough away that I felt like they were unnecessary. It wasn't okay. a normal situation. Um, so I guess what I'm apologizing for this week is, is essentially that – I, I left early, but if you've looked at the set list, you'll see that they played, I think, about 30 songs, like over 25 songs. I've got 21 before the encore. Yeah, so what no, what number song is, uh, uh, oh, um, Fake Empire? 20 that like number? of 21. Yeah, so I left, I was waiting for that song, and of course left when the 19th song played because that's that's like but the th- the thing is is i'm not just apologizing for leaving early but this is with any event like this that's that's really hard and and the guilt seeps in and it, this is really directed at other people but you know when it is a sold out show and if these these ticket purchasing things work as they should which of course they don't and the anthem is pretty expensive so it's not necessarily accessible to everybody but when you leave a sold out show early just like if you go to college and and screw around for four years and and barely graduate or whatever um you there is conceivably because it's sold out or it's full there is that next person that could have gone and might have the encyclopedic knowledge and might have gotten more out of it, might have gotten more value, and they would have said, "Oh, you know, fifty-five dollars for a ticket. This is worth a thousand dollars to me." I don't, I don't right. know. So I am, I do feel somewhat guilty, and I could say that I left because I wanted to make sure I got to the the metro in time. But at the end of the day, I had listened to to like four hours of music. They started. This was at probably ten forty-five, ten fifty. They started playing at nine fifteen. I mean, it was 90 minutes of music and I'm used to, you know, 40 minutes and that's someone's whole, whole catalog. So, you know, I'm, I'm apologizing this week to that next person who couldn't go to the show cause it was sold out. So fair enough. I, I mean, look, we, I think we've all done that. I, I think we've, we've all waited and waited for a song we wanted. I, I have, I wasn't even waiting for that song. I just was like, if it, once they play this, I feel like I can leave. And then no, I know what you're again. saying. I, I have vivid memories of going to like a Gaslight Anthem show, and there being one particular song that I really wanted to hear, and it just, you know, it was it was past my bedtime, and I was I was kind of tired, and, and I was like, I could keep waiting to try to see if they're gonna if they're going to hit this song and I'm sure they played it as soon as I left. I'm just, yeah. I don't know for sure, but I just, I feel it in my bones and I felt it as I was walking. I was like, I'm going to be the next song they play. It has to be. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you bought a ticket fair and square, you know, what, what can we do about that until, until we blow up the ticketing, 
you know, until we blow up the ticketing industry the way we blew up NBA and NFL drafts today. Yeah, I've, I've tried. I've I've been trying on that one, as 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 we know. I've been trying. It's not it's not going too well. But. Well, maybe since we since we brought up the national, maybe I'll uh, I'll see if the uh, if the intern thinks that fake empire would be appropriate in and out music for us. Um, and we'll close the show as we do with a big idea from pop culture. And uh, as we get into summertime one thing that becomes maybe more and more of a part of our lives, uh, something that we don't do as much in November is the outside hang, whether that be the beach trip, whether that be the cookout, whether that be, uh, what I'll be doing next weekend and going to a lake house, um, any sort of activity where, the goal is to pretty much be stationary and drink beer and probably eat hamburgers and hot dogs. And that beer part is really important and you want to get the right beer. And, you know, I think in, in my old age, uh, I I've become, even as I appreciate you know, craft beer and, and beer that you really, you could call a craft or an art form of some kind. You know, I, I also find myself rediscovering my appreciation for, you know, kind of budget beer and, and macro brews. Um, but I always had like ever since college, I've had a beer that has been on my shit list for, essentially my entire drinking life. And I'm here today to tell you that as of late June, 2019, as a 27-year-old, Corona's off my shit list. It's, look, it's not, it's not ever going to confuse me for being a particularly well-made beer or one that I would seek out if what I really wanted was a a flavor experience. <laughs> I was trying to avoid trip to flavor town. Um, yeah. But there's something about popping a wedge of lime into that bottle and getting a, you know, a shot of lime in your beer. It's just nice. And it, it makes me it really does make me feel a little bit like I'm sitting on a beach when I'm actually sitting on the couch watching the Great British Baking Show. It's just, you know, and I think it would be it would be fair to say, hey, you're in Charlottesville. You're not far from Champion Brewery. They make a Mexican lager that they serve with a lime. And I had one of those earlier today. Uh, but, you know, it's possible that I won't always be where I can access champion true love so you know in its absence i'm glad that i've i've rediscovered a beer that will get the job done in the summertime whenever labor is underpaid considerate of their value a corona gets its lime it's my feeling (laughs) i'm concerned with how much like we're on skype so i can see you i'm concerned with how much time you spent workshopping that line 
Yeah, well, I didn't write anything down. It just kind of came to me pretty much immediately. But yeah, it's. Uh, it's I believe it's it's a constellation. I think that's who owns Corona. Yeah, that may not be right. But uh, Modelo. Oh well, whatever. Just it, it's summertime. They have profit, not income. Let it, me tell it's you, it's summertime. Find a beer that you enjoy to help keep you cool, keep you refreshed, keep you happy, and and maybe it's Corona. Who knows? Yeah. Also, just drink more water. Generally, you should do that. Do yes, do that too. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't 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 drink Corona if you really need to be drinking water. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, that is it. We've been at it for a long time. Uh, this is really taking me back to the the old days when we would routinely ramble for forty five minutes. Um. So uh, that is the end of the show. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter at Pretty Okay Pod or at our home on the web, www.prettyokaypod.com. Uh, while you're there, read Pierce's latest piece. It's about oh, yeah. lots of different rocks. It's about lots of different things. It's about rocks. It's about cars. It's about, you know, the fate of our planet and the yeah. incredible capacity for human stubbornness. Uh, so it, that's worth checking out. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, most other podcast apps. If you do that, please leave us a rating, review, comment, that sort of thing. Or uh, think of a friend who might also enjoy what we're doing and tell them about the show so we can share it with them, too. We will be back again next week to talk about something else. Until then, I'm Sean. I'm Pierce. Thanks for listening.